I remember being 10 or 11 years old and going on MarthaStewart.com um, and looking at recipes and galleries and holiday things and getting so excited because it was so beautiful because Christmas is beautiful. And then feeling like, man, kind of sucks that I can't have Christmas. Um, and that's not something that I want anyone to feel. Welcome to the Sprout Podcast, a show about purpose and passion. I'm your host, Shaked, a journalism student, foodie, bookworm, and plant lover. My passion for journalism is rooted in my curious love for stories, the places they can take us and the people who tell them. Each episode, I interview guests who walk us through their own storybook called Life. Along the journey, they share applicable seeds of wisdom about personal and professional growth. Are you ready to flourish together? This is the Sprout Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day it is for you. Welcome to the Sprout Podcast. I'm your host, Shaked, and wherever you're listening from, I hope you are all there. I'm so excited to jump right into this episode. It's a Rosh Hashanah, Jewish, high holiday, New Year themed episode. The energy, the conversation, it's all so good, you guys. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Rebecca Lowen, a magazine editor by day and Jewish lifestyle blogger by night. Rebecca has actually been called the millennial Jewish Martha Stewart with more whimsy, which after hearing our interview, I definitely think you will get behind. I actually stumbled upon Rebecca's Instagram page a couple of weeks ago, and I instantly fell in love with her blog and her content. Like, let me tell you, the aesthetics are seriously on point. But it really hit me that I needed Rebecca to come on the podcast when I learned more about the backstory behind her blog. It's so interesting and unique. She explains on her blog that as a lifestyle editor, she realized that here in North America, there's basically no Jewish holiday content in women's magazines and other sources of what she calls the beautiful life. So her mission is to fill that gap by highlighting the beauty that is the Jewish tradition and sharing gorgeous aesthetics, creations, and celebrations. I think the most beautiful part of her mission is actually that on the macro level, her overall belief is that if by illuminating Judaism through aesthetics, it can make us more proud to be outwardly Jewish, then we can create a wider collective pride about Judaism, which is so necessary in the face of a record high in anti-Semitism. Let me read you a tiny sliver of how Rebecca explained the purpose of her blog in her own words. She writes, As a people, we have a responsibility to break our silence about all aspects of our faith, including, and especially, the light-filled moments in between the darker ones, the hopeful celebrations, the set tables, the singing, the laughter. That's exactly what I hope to do here, to take sides with light, with goodness, with joy, with color, with creativity, to share the beauty of our religion, to revel in the very best of it, to lay bare its exquisite colors and tastes and textures, particularly as they relate to our holidays and homes, and in turn, to encourage Jews around the world to speak in a louder, prouder, collective voice about their own Judaism, not just once or twice a year, but every day. I literally got chills reading that. Rebecca is seriously killing the game. 
So what better way to ring in the new year than with this episode? We're going to discuss everything from how and why Rebecca got started, the importance of representation in the lifestyle and magazine industry, and if you listen to the very end, Rebecca is going to share practical tips for beautifying Jewish celebrations in your own home, making the high holidays special, even while staying home this year, and what she plans to do, and advice for first-time holiday hosts. But before we get into that, I have to do some housekeeping that I totally forgot to do last time because I just get so excited to jump right into the interviews. If you like what you're hearing, show me some love by rating and reviewing. It would seriously mean the world to me. I have loved, loved, loved hearing all of your feedback, so please, please keep it coming. If you want to chat with me more and get all the podcast sneak peeks and updates, we can connect on Instagram at Sprout the Podcast or on my personal Instagram, which is at Daily Shaked. That is it. So now for the fun part, my interview with Rebecca Lowen. Here it goes. Rebecca Lowen is a magazine editor and the founder of Jewish-focused lifestyle blog, RebeccaLowen.com. A Jill of all trades, her writing, photography, crafts, and recipes have been featured by NPR, Martha Stewart Living, William Sonoma, HGTV Handmade, Food and Wine, Good Housekeeping, The Daily Jewish Forward, Tablet Magazine, and more. Rebecca has hosted original video series for NBC News Today Show, Shape Magazine, and The Food Network, and frequently appears as a lifestyle expert on television programs across the United States. Rebecca holds a BA in creative writing from Columbia University and happily resides in New York City. Thank you so much for being here, Rebecca. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Thank you for asking me to do this. Absolutely. So before we jump into the interview, I like to start off the episode with a little icebreaker and a little reflection exercise called Rose, Thorn, and Bud, which is, as you know, a highlight, a challenge, and something you're looking forward to. So I'll let you go first. Okay, so I love this uh, exercise, by the way. So my rose of the week would have to be that my older sister just had a baby, which is so exciting. Um, That's so exciting. I know, it's it's great. It's my fifth niece or nephew. It's, wow. it's a, niece, um, a little girl. And so that was, of course, the highlight. Um, and then a thorn, a thorn, you this know, it's hard because it's it is like hard. You try to like, I feel like your brain intentionally tries not to remember the things that brought you down that week. So it's, it's kind of like strange to think back on, but yeah. yeah. And I'm generally a pretty positive person, but of course mm. I have my moments. Honestly, I would say that 2020 has been one <laughs> old, big old thorn. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. That's but so good. This week was was pretty good. I guess, honestly, when your sister has a baby, you can't really be too sad about anything. And like, she's healthy, the baby's healthy. So I'm sorry, that is not my most nuanced answer, perhaps. That's okay, absolutely. Pretty good week. This might be an obvious answer, but Rosh Hashanah mm-hmm. would have to be my bud. It's, I guess it's in, what, 17 days. <laughs> Countdown um, begins. I know, I'm really counting down. And of course, I, as we'll get into... Um, I have this Jewish blog that I run, and so it's really been on my mind, maybe more than ever any other year. And I'm excited about it because I've got all these projects out there in the world, and I'm excited to see what my readers do and who makes what recipe and how does it all look when it's not just, you know, styled for pictures. So that, that always is really, really fun. 
So I think that's my bud. Yeah, that's so fun. I I love that you like sometimes when I see like beautiful bloggers, I wonder, and I'll you know I'll tag them in my Instagram stories. But I wonder, is, does anyone care? Are they seeing this? Like I spend time making their recipe, so it's nice to it's nice to hear that there's someone on the other end, like yeah, responding no, and recognizing. That's probably been the maybe the funniest part of all of this is learning that, and I'm not some you know huge blogger yet, I guess, but. Um, it's been really cool to see that, yes, all of these content creation platforms and things are run by real people. I'm one of them. And whenever people tag me and stuff, I'm just thrilled. It's like the best part of, of the whole thing. So keep tagging. That's what I say to you. I love that. Okay. Well, I'll say mine. So my rose from this week was just actually just before this interview, I went to my, I do spin like, um, cycling and yeah. And I, went to my first spin class since March here in Ottawa were, you know, pretty opened back up and they've been open for a while, but just now in September, I was finally like feeling comfortable and it was September 1st. So my month, like I could re, I could unfreeze my membership. So I went to my first spin class and there, I just, I love it. It's so, so it feels so great to just move your body and like, especially in spin classes, they're yelling motivational things at you. And for some people, they hate that. I love it. Yeah. Like it's just the best. It's so inspiring. I don't know. I just, I am one of those people. I just, when they are telling me things, I get emotional because I'm like, you're so right. I can do anything. (laughs) Like it's just, I'm honestly the same and I'm such a group fitness class person. And totally that's one of the things I really miss um, is just, I had this wonderful class I would always go to down in Tribeca in Manhattan and haven't obviously been able to do that in a while. So I really understand the feeling must be very exciting. Yeah. It's definitely like a community feeling. So hopefully you'll be able to sometime soon. My thorn is that I'm starting the new school year. So I'm I'm going into my last year of journalism school and I don't really have a lot of direction as to what is what is happening. They they haven't really given us our syllabuses yet and I'm like counting down the days. It's a week away. So I'm like, "Excuse me, like I love to prepare. I'm a, a super planner." Mm-hmm. So I just I'm yeah, that's my if I had to find a challenge, I'm just having a hard time planning my life already deep into September without the knowledge of what my life will actually look like since it's so heavily based around my courses. I completely understand that. I'm a planner, obviously, also. (laughs) It's probably apparent. Also related to that, my bud is that, you know, it's September 1st, new month. I love new beginnings. I search for them wherever. I love celebrating the new Jewish month and the new regular Gregorian month because I just love the idea of like starting fresh, new beginning, new week, whatever. So September 1st, it's a new beginning. It's a new month, but also the new year, like you said, Rosh Hashanah, new school year. And so I'm just really looking forward to seeing what this year will bring. I just, I really feel like there's a lot of good that's coming to the world, if I could say. So I don't know. I just, I really, I I agree. And I think that we must then be the two most optimistic people on the planet. (laughs) And obviously we're also really privileged and lucky to be able to say that, but I agree with you. I think there's been a lot of struggle and strife and it would be insane to not, to not call this year what it is, which is, it's been a huge challenge for everyone and some people a lot more than others. Mm -hmm. But I also feel 
um, that sense of newness. Maybe it is, it's, it's the beginning of September. Maybe it's that Rosh Hashanah is around the corner, but I feel the same way. I feel like there is hope. There's always hope. And that to me, that also feels sort of like a, a Jewish ideal because, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll get, we'll get into that more again, but I feel like for people <laughs> who've been persecuted forever, yeah. we always have hope. We always are looking and seeing the bright glimmer of whatever in the midst of pain and suffering. So I, I have a very similar outlook on this year. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's almost like, of course, like you said, we're so privileged. I'm so privileged to be in the position where I could even hope for those things. But I also think, like you said, even in the moments where I'm struggling the most, and I've had personally really challenging moments during this time, but even in those moments, I've had such a gut feeling of hope and perseverance and like almost like never before. So I do get really good vibes and I'm, I'm very excited for the year to come. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. That's that's so that's so nice. I think that's a great attitude. So perfect segue to the interview talking about new beginnings. Let's start at your beginning. Can you briefly tell me just about yourself, how you got to where you are today? What is it that you're up to these days? Your blog, all of the things. Yes, absolutely. Um, goodness. Okay, where do we get? I guess I'll begin at the beginning. <laughs> um And I'll sort of try to keep my actual life story relatively short because first of all, it is pretty short. I'm, I'm relatively young. (laughs) Um, And also I feel like the most interesting things that are happening are happening right now, which is a, which is a very cool thing to be able to say. Um, Mm. So, okay. So who am I? So I am from Connecticut. I went to Columbia where I studied writing. So I've been in the, I've been in New York city for about, I guess a little over 10 years, which is crazy to think. Um, And I sort of always knew from when I was really little that I wanted to be a writer. Um, But I've done a million different creative things my whole life. So I've been, I was a professional singer for a while, a musical theater actress, both while I was at Columbia and for a few years after. Um, And like, you know, really trying to make it. I had an agent. (laughs) I was like really (laughs) auditioning, but simultaneously, was holding magazine internships and always knew I want to be a magazine editor. Mm-hmm. Um, that just was a dream of mine. Um, and I knew I wanted to write books and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always sort of had my hand in a million different um, creative pursuits. So photography, painting, the writing, of course, all of that. It just all really has appealed to me over the years. Um, So I guess to sort of get us to where I am today, I graduated. My first job was at Martha Stewart Living. Um, That's so cool. You know, it was really cool. Thanks for saying that. I think it was really cool. I had an amazing experience. It was a brief, uh, you know, job on my resume because it's a first job. I was an assistant, but it was cool. And I've, I've always loved that sort of Martha Stewart lens of the world. And it actually, I don't think it appeals to everyone. Um, In fact, I know it doesn't appeal to everyone because the Martha sort of mantra, (laughs) Martha mantra, they should really copyright that. Totally. Essentially that things, things don't have to be fast and easy. They can be a little bit challenging and that sometimes giving yourself a challenge 
is beautiful and more interesting. It's a more interesting way to live your life. And I have always loved that. I've always found that to be really uh, like a helpful way to live. And it helps me to, to strive and, you know, try harder or whatever. And I think that in this day and age, which is such a silly phrase to use, but I feel like in this modern world, people are always running after what is the easiest thing? What is the simplest recipe? How can I pare things down? How can I make it faster, faster, faster? But what I learned at Martha that I really kept with me is that there are still a lot of people out there, including myself, who love the challenge um, and who are willing to put in a little more work to make things more beautiful. Um, so that is so that's so beautiful and so beautifully put. I I, honest, I never thought about it like that, but that is so true. And even while thinking about this interview, I wanted to ask you what how can people easily create beautiful Jewish um, celebrations? And that, mm -hmm. we're going to get into that later. But I while writing that, I almost thought is I I almost like looking at your Instagram and your blog. I almost thought I think the whole point of this is that it isn't easy. It's that you do need to spend a little bit more time, but that that's worth it. And so I love that. That's yeah. so fascinating. And it's I mean, it's really cool to me to hear that that's something that you sort of got at first glance, you know, um, mm -hmm. because that is, that's a big theme of what I'm doing now. So, you know, essentially what I'm equating, I think in my mind, whenever I make a new post is this idea of a challenge and the idea of caring about people and caring about your life. And to me, those things are related. Working a little bit harder, um, is sort of related to putting in a little bit more effort and showing people that you care more. But anyway, and being guess, intentional, really, I think like in some, like being intentional isn't easy. It's actually really challenging to, yeah, to think through every little intentional detail. And I think the reason why that comes to light in your posts is because I mean, who's going to make a little challah topper? It, like who's yeah, going no, wants to be easier is going to make a challah topper. But if you want to be beautiful, if you want to make something beautiful, if you want to make something intentional, then you're going to make a challah topper. But it's yeah. because you are putting the thought and it's because you're spending the time and there's something so beautiful about that. Yeah. And, and I know I'm, a, I'm on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's <laughs> interesting. So I like where you're taking this. So to respond to that, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think about this all the time. So some of the projects on my blog and I mean, yeah, some of the projects that I've posted and the recipes and things, they are complicated and they've even taken me a while to sort of figure out or master or whatever. Um, and sometimes when I post it, I think, who's going to actually do this? And then I think it doesn't really matter. So as you mm -hmm. said, yes, if they do put in the extra time, that's great. And they will be beautifying their Judaism in this special way. And that's awesome. But even if they don't, one of my big goals is simply to provide a more beautiful vision for what it means to be Jewish. Mm -hmm. And so, if, and I've always thought, you know, back to Martha Stewart to get this into some sort of a segue <laughs> back into my story. Um, you know, I learned at Martha Stewart that there's a place for inspirational content and there's a place for aspirational content. And I think I fall, I think my blog maybe falls into the latter and aspirational stuff it's a very specific and interesting world. Um, it sometimes just exists. Sometimes people like to consume that stuff just because it, it um, sort of like gives them a new 
benchmark. It gives them something to reach for. And sometimes it will, we'll get into this also. I guess we're, I guess this is it. We're just going to talk about it all now. But, you know, sometimes, at least for me growing up as a Jew, um, I felt that the, that the uh, standards for aesthetically beautiful stuff, for lack of a better word, was lower than the standard for like the intellectual element behind that beautiful stuff, because there is no doubt that Judaism is beautiful on mm -hmm. an intellectual and a philosophical level. And all I'm doing is adding this extra layer. But anyways, so that's a whole interesting thing that I love to think about is what, what purpose does this content serve? And sometimes I think, you know what, maybe no one's going to make my pumpkin shaped hala. Like maybe that is too complicated. Okay. But the fact that it exists, maybe it like expands their mind and helps them think about other things that they've never thought of trying or just helps them look at Judaism in a different way. So anyway, my, my really, I guess a lot of this blog story and where I am today hinges off of that one Martha Stewart experience. So I'm kind of happy that we spent some time talking about it. Um, you know, from there, I worked at a bunch of other lifestyle outlets and magazines and I actually am currently still an editor, um, and I, I don't really like to talk too much about that in the blog when I'm talking about the blog, so I'll leave that alone. But I will say I, I still work my nine to six p.m. job every day, and I do the blog now, and um, you know on nights and weekends and early mornings, and and it's like my greatest joy. And I started the blog about I guess a, like a year and one month ago. So I would love to dig deeper into the Jewish aspect of your story since your blog is a Jewish blog, but you also, like you mentioned, you, you worked in just the magazine world. So kind of what was your, I guess, Jewish journey and how did that play a role into what you're doing today? I think that's such an interesting question, first of all. And I mean, I generally don't get to talk that much about the blog from more of a meta perspective it's it's more like answering people's questions about how do i make kala you know <laughs> so this is really interesting and so i guess to take it all the way back to being a kid i had a very interesting childhood um where my family is you know it's all so relative it's hard to really say but i used to think of myself as being quote very jewish first of all my father my dad's first language is yiddish Wow. Um, which is cool. Yeah. He didn't speak English until he was like, six or seven years old. My grandparents spoke Yiddish. They, my grandfather actually lived with us growing up for a long time. And I, my house was filled with Yiddish. That's like a language, a, a second language that was in my home. Um, and my dad, you know, I, I don't think that my dad actually had any I don't think that he would classify himself as an Orthodox Jew, his childhood. But that's pretty much what it was. His, his grandfather was a rabbi. They were very strict, um, kosher, and just, you know, he was very intensely religious. So growing up, I had, like, my dad on one side, who really maintained a lot of that religious stuff, that feeling of a connection to God, and really a connection to all of the Jewish laws, both the intellectual world of Judaism and also the more tangible, like everyday Jewish, Jewish laws. Then on my mom's side, 
um, it was very, very different. So my mom, um, her mother, my grandmother was actually an Auschwitz survivor, um, which, you know, of course has a huge impact on you as a child. And whenever I meet someone else who, you know, I'm not sure if that's true for you, if you have any Holocaust survivors or anything in your family, but whenever I meet another Jew and we have this shared ancestor, which is a funny word to use when it's someone as close as a grandmother, we have a shared family member who survived a concentration camp or something like that, Mm -hmm. you immediately understand them on like a deeper level because that is traumatic. It's not just traumatic for my grandmother, it's traumatic for my mother and for me, and it probably will be traumatic for my children to know, or, you know, or at least I almost hope they feel it on a deep enough level for it to provide some level of trauma, you know, because it's important to remember and to know about our history. So I've got that on my mom's side, but sort of consequently, um, because of her experience in the Holocaust, which was, you know, terrifying and horrible and killed her parents, her, she, her parents were murdered in Auschwitz. My grandmother then became very, not anti-Judaism, but scared. She was scared mm-hmm. to be Jewish, completely understandably. Um, you know, I think anyone can, can see why that would happen. So when she was living in the United States years later and raising my mother, they actually even had a Christmas tree growing up, which is something I never did. But yeah, and, and it, my, they would almost, they would not celebrate Christmas, but they just had this tree, which is really sad. My mom always thought it was because my grandmother was afraid that Nazis would come and take her away again. So, you know, wow. it's sad and it's, it's like intense, mm-hmm. but it's a part of my, it's such a vital part of my story because when I flash all the way forward and I think about why I'm doing this blog, yes, there's all this Martha Stewart stuff and there's like, I just want to make it look pretty and this and that. But ultimately, it all comes back to Judaism, which is why I'm so happy you asked this question. So I grew up in this very interesting sort of, not not mixed uh, home of two different types of Judaism. My mom really sort of joined my father and became like a practicing conservative Jew, which is what I would call myself now. Mm-hmm. And we were kosher style. And we went to synagogue every week. And my town, I'm from Connecticut, my, the town where I grew up, very few people, very few people were like practicing Jews in my town. It just mm. had a small Jewish population. And especially in the school that I went to, which is pretty small, I didn't really know anybody else who was, who even would, I think, sort of out loud identify as Jewish. And so I never talked about it. I, like on Hanukkah, people sort of knew I was Jewish and would say happy Hanukkah. But I kind of just went, I went with the flow and just kind of kept it to myself. When I got to college, I almost completely, I'm really sad to say, but almost completely abandoned my Jewish identity. Unlike my sister who, um, and my, my other siblings, they kind of got into the Jewish scene at their schools. And I just didn't do that, which is, I guess, sort of a regret of mine. Um, but I was interested in other stuff and I sort of put it on the back burner. And so it really, I think this surprises some people. It wasn't until the last like two, three years, probably three years of my life, so my mid twenties that I felt this, like, I mean, it probably sounds silly, but I felt this very profound, um, like calling back to Judaism for many, many reasons. Um, 
and decided to start the blog. And so in some ways, the blog for me isn't like, look, I'll show you how to do Judaism because I'm already doing it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I have this going on in my life. It was like, I want, I also want to make Judaism a bigger part of my life. So join me and like, let's do this together. And that's what I hope people see, but it's, you know, hard to get across sometimes. That is so interesting and so beautiful, really. Like, yeah, I would have never guessed that just recently you would have, you know, felt called to Judaism, but I think there's something so just real and there's something so vulnerable about bringing people along with you and, you know, being authentic and saying, this is what I'm learning and this is what I'm doing and join me. As someone who, you know, I, I consider myself as being on my own Jewish journey and all of a sudden, like, kind of always having felt called to, to God and to those things and being in university and the idea of it being such a taboo these days for some reason to say that, to talk about yeah. God and to, you know, to talk about hard things. I think that's so, so fascinating and so beautiful. That's so interesting what you just said, because um, sometimes when people ask me about the blog, which is it's not that often, it's not like I'm walking down the street and people are stopping me. <laughs> But when my friends are like, hmm, so why'd you decide to do this? Or a reader asks me, why'd you decide to start this? For me, it absolutely comes back to God. And sometimes I'm nervous to say that. I recently mm -hmm. uh, posted on Instagram, uh, and anyone who follows me on Instagram knows that I am very vocal <laughs> on my <laughs> stories. I'm like always talking like I am right now. And I recently shared that with my readers and I got this overwhelming response. I said like, I believe in God and nobody ever really says that, but this is a Jewish blog. And I, what I said was, everyone is welcome here. Jews, non-Jews, people who define, you know, Judaism completely differently from how I define it. I don't care what you believe. That's true of every part of my life. I don't care what you're doing as long as you're not hurting anyone, mm -hmm. do you? But I will never dilute my own beliefs. And I thought it was important to tell people I'm not gonna play down the God thing just to appeal to a wider audience. For me, my Judaism had, like God is an important part of my Judaism. Mm -hmm. Do I even really know what that means? But I care about God. So whatever that means, like I pray to God. I've, I've, my family talks about God. It's a part of who I am. And when I started the blog, that was a part of my thinking. It, there's like, a god in my Judaism. And it's like the whole blog is directed, I would say, outwards towards people so I can help people who want to get more in touch with Judaism. And it's directed sort of upwards at God in like a sort of gratitude way. But anyway, I don't want to get too, too weird. So no, I love that. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. But when I posted about this on Instagram, sure enough, like this chorus of people said, oh my gosh, thank you so much for saying that. Cause I feel, wow. I know and interesting. <laughs> There's probably a whole other group of people who were maybe turned off by it, but, but again, like that's okay with me sort of, you know, that's mm -hmm. okay. I think that if I'm going to jump into this, I hope authentic blog, then I want it to be exactly that. And I don't want to dumb anything down or dilute anything by not talking about things that really do mean something. I absolutely, I think that's so interesting. And it honestly, it really comes through in your, the content that you create. Like 
I believe that Judaism is just, it's so personal. And that's one of the things that I love about it. And I incorporate Judaism into my life in my own unique and special ways. I have a really hard time fitting into set boxes and labels. And Mm -hmm. something I instantly loved about your blog is that it feels so welcoming, no matter what, like, quote unquote, type of Jew you are, like any Jew, any denomination can embrace your ideas and content, which is something really special and rare. Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, thank you for saying that, because that's, that's so cool to hear. And, you know, I think what it is, I think that what I'm putting out there is um, a Jewish value. Um, and we had talked a little, you know, before this about the idea of Hidur Mitzvah, Mm-hmm. Um, for my non-Jewish listeners out there, I'll preface by explaining that a mitzvah is a religious commandment and often colloquially like seen just as a good deed, something that you do, like, oh, opening a door for someone, oh, you did a mitzvah, that's great. So um, I think that most secular people are familiar with the most commonly practiced mitzvah, and that includes kind of like the laws of kashrut or Shabbat, the Jewish Sabbath. But one unique mitzvah that I learned from doing research for this episode and from my research, from my recent conversations, I realized that many Jewish people haven't actually heard of is what we're about to talk about, which is the hitter mitzvah, which is the concept of beautifying mitzvah. So yeah, just let's get into it. Tell me more about the hitter mitzvah and why you think it's important. Wherever it was that you found it, I'm happy that you came across it um, because that's what happened to me. I had never heard of this thing which I really hope I don't mispronounce, but I probably will. And I will also probably misdefine it because I am not a rabbi. <laughs> I don't have like a you know, doctorate in Jewish thought, but um, I, I've been calling it Hidur Mitzvah. And again, it literally translates, as you said, to beautifying the mitzvah or beautifying the mitzvot, I guess. Um, and it's so fascinating. And I, right when I was getting ready to sort of publish the blog, I already had this idea, you know what? It would be kind of cool to put together my Martha Stewarty background with Judaism, because not only would, would that be cool to other people, but I thought that might even get me back into Judaism. And sure enough, that's what happened. But I had this thought, which was um, negative. And it, I had it, I had it like, a lot when I was about to put the blog out into the world for the first time in 2019, which was, what if people think I'm just copying Christmas or they think I'm just copying Easter or whatever, which is a, it's not a silly thought. It actually, I think is pretty valid, but that almost stopped me from publishing the blog because I thought, is it a Jewish ideal to um, throw this extra layer onto everything of beautification? And then of course, um, I came across this Hidur Mitzvah idea. And again, I really encourage people out there to look it up for yourself so that you don't yell at me, you yell at somebody else who <laughs> doesn't define it correctly. But, it's, but the basis of it is it's a Talmudic concept. So it's from the Talmud and it is basically a rabbi in like, I, I don't totally remember, but I'm, it's around like a thousand BCE or something. Um, is like, you know, elaborating on, I think, oh my goodness, I think it's like something from Exodus. And he's basically just providing commentary, which is what they do in the Talmud. And he says, maybe this, this or that line means we should add beauty to things as Jews. So he says that. And then for 
like thousands of years after that, um, different rabbis chimed in and I, for the most part, agreed with him, which is the first crazy thing about this because rabbis agreeing with each other is crazy. <laughs> and the second exciting thing is that there it was, there's like my thing that I was looking for, which is the knowledge that this is an ancient Jewish value. And yes, it's not from, maybe it's not from God, who's to say, but it's there. That was enough for me to get really excited and think, okay, beautifying things is a Jewish value. And what this rabbi said from what I gathered from what he was saying was, if you add this layer of beauty, if you, for instance, buy a beautiful pair of Shabbat candlesticks instead mm -hmm. of just like any old pair of Shabbat candlesticks, or if you buy the beautiful etrog for Sukkot with like, just it looks perfect, it's the perfect shape and it smells the best, then you are adding a layer of holiness to what you're doing. And then in effect, you are bringing yourself closer to God um, and you're, because you're showing that you care. So that's like, that blew my mind, of course, not just because it backs my thesis, my personal thesis that, hmm, if Judaism, you know, looked as beautiful as it is, more people might be interested and we can probably garner like a larger, a wider collective pride. But it was also just cool on a philosophical level. It's so interesting that this is something that was talked about thousands of years ago and it's not therefore superficial, I could argue, and I often do. Um, and so like from then on, I, I never had that nagging negative voice in my head telling me, okay, but like when you make Hanukkah look better, you're just copying Christmas um, because I know that Judaism was always meant to be just as uh, beautiful, <laughs> not as like commercialized maybe. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, but I, yeah, I always, I always feel that, that that is like my guiding principle. So I'm really happy that you brought it up. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you said, you know, is, was this from God, but the truth is, and this is kind of, you know, my opinion, but God, if, if you believe that God created the world and God created all of us, that of course God believes in this mitzvah, that everything is beautiful because the world and the miracles that we see in it are in themselves beautiful. So wow, I've never thought about that. And I love that. And I have had another thought that's similar. I, I love what you just said. That's amazing. And I'm going to like carry that with me now. <laughs> um, I've had another thought, which is one thing that Jewish people generally believe, and it's tough to say that because there are so many different beliefs, but one mm -hmm. of the more traditional things that people believe is that like, you're in this world for a finite period of time. Mm -hmm. There isn't like an emphasis, like in other religions on an afterlife on heaven or hell or whatever. And so I, in my, you know, ruminating on this concept by myself for the past year or whatever, I often think, well, if God created the world to be this finite um ecosystem that like this this thing that ends then he probably intended for us to make this world as beautiful and special as possible and spend as much time thinking about how to improve and beautify this world there is a place for this this matters and then i i don't even know if i said this but but like my mission essentially with the blog is 
to, I believe, as I said, my thesis is that when you make something more aesthetically pleasing or more beautiful, that really does appeal to an important part of human nature and it's not a superficial part. And I thought if I can make Judaism uh, sort of updated in the visual element, maybe more people will be attracted to it, and literally, and, and then we can grow the you know, collective Jewish pride that's out there. And that is so important right now for probably obvious reasons, but I should mention, you know, anti-Semitism is at a record high. I think it's a four decade high, according to the ADL. And it would be very easy for a Jewish person like myself to say, to kind of throw their hands up and say, okay, I don't really want to be Jewish because this is a hard life and people don't really like Jews maybe and people are anti-Semitic. So I don't want to be part of this. So we need everything that's like going to lure and draw people back in and say, wait, come back. Like it's actually the best thing ever. <laughs> um, and so like maybe an updated face will be helpful. So that's kind of my, my mission. I love that. I think that's so, so, so unique. And something that drew me to you was this idea that I, I mean, I had never thought about anything like that or heard anything like that, but I think it's so true. And people, I mean, anyone who loves cooking or eating or anything in the middle knows that food is, bo people bond over food, like the dinner table, mm -hmm restaurants, the table, food, that is one of the most beautiful places where people can connect. And I think there's something so beautiful about the idea that collectively as a Jewish people, we can all connect through this idea of beautiful lifestyle enhancements, I guess. And I just, I think that's so lovely. I will say there are so many amazing Jewish food bloggers and kosher bloggers. Yeah. That I'm sure you know about, mm -hmm. um, and I follow a lot of them. I'm now excited to say that I'm friends with a bunch of them, which is so cool. And they are doing amazing work in the food space. And something that I, I'm trying to do over the next year, sort of my, my next year resolution, is to make sure that I differentiate myself so that I'm not a food blog, even though that's cool and great and I'm, I love food too and I do post so much food, but that it's really about that Hedor Mitzvah and that my blog is really on that, focused on that aesthetic element because um, I think that, you know, to toot my own horn, I think that is what makes my blog different and it's that like the look of it is really, really elevated. Um, so whether it's like a table or a, or a dish or a craft, it's presented to you in this pretty package that I think matters. So, absolutely, and I I think that that is definitely what what really makes you so unique. When did you notice that there was this gap in the kind of magazine world in the market of Jewish oh, yeah. beautification? Yeah. I was uh, eleven years old. It just so happens that. It's like, I think human nature that when you're surrounded by a lot of people who are not like you, you probably, you tend to get more insecure about the things that make you, you, well, you can either get insecure or you can get really proud and I'm not like a superhuman. So I think what happened to me was the former and I would just get sort of like, okay, I should hide this away. Um, 
And that's comp that was compounded by the fact that then I open up magazines and things, perhaps not as a child, <laughs> but like, you know, magazines in my house that my mom would get and like put in all the rooms and there's no Hanukkah in there. And if there is, it's like, oh, I try really hard not to be negative about this stuff, but it is not attractive or it's like blue. Okay. We get it. Hanukkah equals blue to the world, but like, can't you do anything more with it? So it's just this blue blob in magazines. So I think I just, it's not, it wasn't anywhere. And then, um, but it, but re it remained a really important part of my identity. And so I walk through the world saying I'm a Jew and then I'm a lifestyle editor. And those two things could never coexist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for anyone who says, yes, they can exist, like go pitch Hanukkah and stuff. That's like kind of a silly, unrealistic thing because there just isn't a big Jewish readership. We're 0.2% of the world population. So, and most of the, most of those Jews are now in Israel. So like there is not a huge American audience for that. And it makes a lot of sense why some of these magazines don't have Jewish content, but I still wanted to see it. So that's why I set out to make it for myself. Um, and I will also say on the Martha Stewart thing, um, I guess that was like my really good job for me <clears throat> because I remember being 10 or 11 years old whenever the internet was invented. I'm not that old, but the, <laughs> whenever I like had access to a computer, and going on MarthaStewart.com um, and looking at recipes and galleries and holiday things and getting so excited because it was so beautiful because Christmas is beautiful. And then feeling like, man, kind of sucks that I can't have Christmas. Um, and that's not something that I want anyone to feel. And I think something so inspiring about that is the fact that you and I, as Jewish people, we have felt that over and over. And I, you know, I can attest, I felt that all the time too. I loved the Christmas holiday season because it was so beautiful and I love beautiful things. Though you and I have both experienced that, there's such a big group of other religions who probably feel the same way. You know, there's probably a bunch absolutely. of little like Muslim kids and Hindu oh my gosh, kids absolutely. And, you know, like anyone can, from what you just said and what you're doing, any little kid out there who doesn't see themselves represented can, I, I hope that they take from you that they can make it themselves and that they belong to, right? I love that point so much. And it just so happens that in the last, I guess, I don't know, a couple of months, I connected with someone on Instagram who, she's Muslim, and her handle is Hello Holy Days. I think Hello Holy Days is the mm -hmm. order of the words. And she was actually following me. I don't actually know how she found me, but she did. And I noticed her one day. I just like must have clicked through because that's what you do when you're aimlessly scrolling. You click on your own readers and stalk them, I guess. And I looked at her page and I was like, oh my God, this is, is exactly what I'm doing just for a Muslim audience. And it was, mm -hmm. first of all, some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen and exactly the same like vibe as me. So really Martha Stewart, in fact, she has done a lot of like, I think she did some Ramadan work for Martha Stewart um, from what I learned. So then I, I messaged yeah. her and I was like, your page is really amazing. And she said, well, she said nice things about my page too. And then we connected and we, you know, decided we should work together. Um, so 
TBD because we are still discussing what exactly we want to do. But I love that you brought that up because this is a universal lesson. And it doesn't just apply to even the religious world. I think like anybody out there who feels like they're not represented. So mm-hmm. especially right now, like with, the, with you know Black Lives Matter, I think it's so important for, for every race and every skin color and like everyone in the world should see themselves somewhere in the world. I think it's so interesting that we kind of got talking about this because it just brings forth the idea that your your mission with this blog, it's so clear. It's so much more. I mean, it is about lifestyle and beauty and I don't want to take away from that at all. And in addition to being about that, it's also so much more. And I think the reason why it spoke to me, just seeing myself, you know, it's just such a unique and powerful like mission that you're clearly on. And I think it's so important and it's something I can relate to in my, in my own work, what I, I've just started this podcast and what I hope to do here is also to create a platform of representation of myself and hopefully other people. But I think that it's, it's time that it's like, you know, it's about time that people who didn't see themselves decided if I don't see myself, I'm going to make I'm going to make it myself. You know, if I can't, if someone's not already representing me, I'm going to represent myself. And with social media, with um, online, with like the, the world that we live in today, we have the power to represent ourselves. And there's something so powerful about that. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I think more than anything, that is a really proactive way of looking at and living life. So so first of all, I commend you for doing that, like, you know, as someone who is also trying to do the same thing, but there's people who look at it and say, man, I wish this thing existed. And there's other people who just go out and create it. And so I think it's amazing what you're doing. And I, I completely see the purpose of your podcast. I think to like sort of expand that outside of you and me to anyone who's listening, it's like, if you, if you want to I guess, make a powerful personal statement and do something that lasts and is exciting and meaningful. All you have to do is, is do anything because inherently things that you do are already personal to you. I think that's what it means to be authentic. Like just living a good, proud life and actively speaking up for the things that you believe in and Uh, or maybe it's creating content if you're like an artist about things that you believe in, that is naturally going to, uh, I guess, like exhibit this same power because it comes from you and what you really believe. I think that what what you're doing, the reason why it resonates is because representations of Judaism are one dimensional. It's the token Jew. What what you're doing, it's a representation of Judaism that's unique and that's not something that's usually reflected. So I think it's really special. Yeah, I, I really like that point because not only is, you know, tokenism of, of Judaism um, so prevalent like outside of the Jewish world, but within Judaism as well, I think we've really managed to look at ourselves, as you said, with this one-dimensional lens. You know, even these divides of conservative, orthodox, reform, um, like modern orthodox, all these different things that we've invented because they are inventions. They are not, they were not, you know, God didn't hand mm-hmm. Moses the Ten Commandments and say, and by the way, like, 
reform, conservative. You yeah. know, these, are, these are ways that we've like fragmented. And were we to lump everyone together and say like, we are all one thing and you don't have any labels, might lose a lot of people because they would think, I don't want to be lumped in with those Jews. I don't believe mm-hmm. what they believe. And like a big aspect of Judaism is this fragmentation of ideas and thinking for yourself. So that's fine. But I think that when we, when we don't treat it as just reform, conservative, orthodox, those are just like practical labels that we had to put on here, but really we are all one people. When we instead treat it as, well, I'm reformed, so I don't do that. And I'm conservative, so I do not do that. Instead of just saying, yeah, these are like hazy, blurred labels. Instead of seeing it that way, I think it has a lot become within Judaism, like Jew to Jew, um, people define themselves a little too strongly, in my opinion, by those labels. And so I'm glad you said what you did about my blog, because one other big piece of my personal mission, and I don't even know if it's published on there, I don't think it is, is to sort of break down those barriers and say, we're all Jewish. You can sort of have a, um, someone I just interviewed for the blog, Tiffany Harris, she, she used this phrase. She said, I have an a la carte approach to my Judaism. So I take a few things from orthodoxy and I take a few things from the reform movement. And I thought that was such a cool way of saying it, but we are Jewish, <laughs> you know? And then I could expand that outward and get like a little more hippy dippy and say, we are all human, we're all one. <laughs> but like, I do think there's a value to there being a Jewish label. I love Judaism. So we are all Jewish. And that is, yeah, that's definitely something I want to come across with the blog. I'm excited to pick your brain about the really practical stuff now. Um, I'm, I want to know, what advice do you have for someone who wants to beautify their traditions, but doesn't know where to start? What are some small things that that person can do? That's such a good question. And I really, I think I have a habit of taking practical question and turning it into some like fluffy philosophical thing. I love it. <laughs> I love philosophy and I love thinking about things like that. Um, so the first thing I'm going to say is a little bit less tangible. It's that it's beautiful to be Jewish. And I actually really believe that like the coolest thing that has happened to me over the last like 10 years has not been creating this blog and making things pretty and whatever. It's been reacquainting myself with my Judaism in general. Mm. And now I think of Judaism as the coolest, most beautiful thing about me. So there's that. There's like, I think we have to mention that. On the aesthetic level, I guess like in a really practical sense, if you really are like maybe even new to Judaism, I would first kind of Google a list of what are the ritual objects that Jews have in their homes. Maybe you're converting Maybe you just are stepping back into your Judaism after a long time, like I did. So those would be like mezuzot, and uh, like maybe you want to have a siddur, maybe you want to have Shabbat candlesticks, uh, a challah board, stuff like that. Those are really simple, tangible things that you can purchase. And yeah, fill your home with the beautiful stuff um, because there's a lot of it in Judaism. and and those like trinkets, I mean, or, or, you know, you don't have to buy things, you don't have to make them, you can take them, borrow them from your parents or from your siblings or your great grandparents. Like there's so much beautiful heirloom things that, are, that are, have been passed down and maybe that's what you wanna fill your home with. But I think starting with those tangible objects is a really easy place to begin. 
And then from there, I would say, go to my blog for more information because after that, that's basically the premise of everything I do. But yeah, that's what I would say. And then for someone who's already like super into their Judaism and is just like, hmm, this is a new idea. I want to make it prettier or more beautiful. Then I would say, start um, supporting amazing Judaica shops, um, which I, I think that like a lot of Jews who are sort of well-established in their Judaism already do maybe, but it's a nice idea if you haven't, like especially right now, to go to a local store or maybe they have a website and, and purchase like a really beautiful piece of Judaica that actually makes you proud when you look at it. Mm. Um, that's, I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, that's lovely. I love that. So, I mean, obviously the world is currently living through a global pandemic. Um, have you heard? I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, of course it's really had an impact on Jewish, tra like traditions in general, holiday celebrations yeah. in general, but especially on Jewish traditions. And I think, at least in my opinion, that's because Jewish celebrations are so heavily based in family and in togetherness and you know, that's, that's what's kind of, that's what's been lacking. So that's interesting about the, yes, Jewish holidays are very much rooted in family. Jewish tradition is very much rooted in family. Mm, Why exactly. we are able to call ourselves Jews is because someone in our family, like, didn't die. They, like, fought for us to still be Jews. So it's absolutely, like, family is everything. Exactly. So kind of going into the high holiday season and for non-Jewish listeners, there's kind of a season in September and October and it's the Jewish New Year and there's a bunch of high holidays that are coming and they're all heavily celebrated. I kind of want to like dig more deeply into how we can create beautiful Jewish celebrations and make them meaningful going into the high holiday season really good question and I think about it I've thought about it like the whole year because because believe it or not newsflash <laughs> it's been the whole year almost yeah um, wow that we've been in sort of more isolation than usual whether someone is spending the holidays alone or with family on zoom or in small gatherings how can they make the holidays feel special this year yeah, that's such a good I love that question. Um, throw it back to Passover 2020, um, because that was, you know, March of this year, we all were thrown into this new world. Um, and then immediately after came Passover. And that was, that was pretty sad. Um, when we, I think when we all first realized, oh, we have to do this holiday alone. And back then, by the way, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but in case anyone's listening, like in the future, back then, I feel like I'm talking to my grandkids or something when I say back <laughs> then, like three months ago, whatever. But um, back then, we were truly isolated. Yeah. -ish. You know, at least I was, because I live alone in New York. Oh my gosh. So, and I, now I'm able to like go to Connecticut, all that. But back then, we were really alone. So I had this whole, thought process brainstorming thing about Passover where I really thought deeply about how can people make a Zoom celebration special um, and how can they not be depressed about it because like you know I am a pretty Pollyanna kind of personality but even I was like this is gonna be awful and Passover is my favorite holiday and ultimately like I came up with this whole thing and 
It was called Next Year in Person. It was this big campaign mm -hmm. where I, I just gave people a lot of ideas for small batch recipes and um, like a DIY Seder plate that they could make so that they wouldn't have to rely on, so that they wouldn't have to not have a Seder plate because, you know, if you're not with your parents, maybe you don't have one. Mm -hmm. Now things feel a little bit different. So I think that is uh, hopeful. We are, I hope, you know, maybe there's some people out there who are really like fully still isolated and we all should be doing our part to stay safe and like stay at home as much as possible. But I think that people are doing more mask laden gatherings and maybe they're gathering outside. So even if it's a much smaller group, like maybe at least now you get tested and you're able to go see your parents mm -hmm. versus Passover when it was like, couldn't even get a mask and you couldn't get tested because I don't even, who even knew if the tests existed. Um, we were all just like screaming and running around. Yeah. I was. So, so to me, Rosh Hashanah and all the high holidays feel slightly more like a blip closer to normal. See, mm -hmm. normalcy. Um, but yeah, that said there, well, at least for me, my synagogue is not doing services but I want to figure out a way to make that service watching really special. Cause I think like mm -hmm. the recipes and stuff will probably be the same. And so for me, I'm going to put down like, um, I was thinking of doing some sort of, not like a fort, but like pillows and cozy, almost yoga studio vibes in my house and like coziness and candles and make it like this beautiful, special, almost like a yoga retreat is kind of where I'm taking inspiration which is so unlike a temple. But to me, what it does is it replicates the feeling of being in a temple. So when I'm in temple, yes, it's stiff and like you're sitting in these, you know, hard pews, very, very formal. But ultimately I have a feeling during a high holiday service of togetherness and comfort. And so instead of trying to replicate like maybe the synagogue service, I'm going to try and replicate the feeling that I get in the service, which is, comfort um and like having your arms around people kind of feeling and so i like we're gonna watch zoom services is how our synagogue is doing things um and so i don't want to watch that like i don't know sitting straight backed on a sofa or something because that to me that's not even though it might look physically like the same as a temple that's not actually replicating the experience that's what i'm going to be doing I bet it'll be fascinating to see all the different things that people do. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you. I mean, if you want to replicate the synagogue, you just <laughs> like starving and, and I mean, <laughs> and sit on like an uncomfortable chair. But then to be honest, like if that were me at home, I would just get up from the chair. Exactly. And snack and leave. And so, yeah. and I, like I'm the one with the Jewish blog. So if anyone has a reason to just stay put, it should be me, but I, would definitely leave. Regardless of the fact that now, like you said, we can gather in small, small groups and hopefully I like God willing, I'll be able to spend the holidays with at least, you know, my small family and people will be able to gather in kind of small family units. It's still going to be at home. Like you said, it's not going to be, it's not going to be the same. And so I'm wondering, I think it's fair to say that home has also become a full-time office, classroom, gym, restaurant, movie theater, and more and more and more in addition to being home. So how can we sanctify or set apart 
spaces as sacred and special during this time? Oh, that is such a good question. Oh my goodness. And you mean like in general, that's such a cool idea that you would even do that. So I love, this is like a question and a tip all in one. <laughs> but I'm so curious, like what, I'm, I just would love to know if you have an answer to that because it's an interesting question. And it's a, it's a tough question. There is something to be said about the mental separation, kind of sanctifying things within you. Hmm. And this is something, I've never thought about this. I'm, I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head, but I, if I've, well, I'm now thinking, you know what it's like. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I am thinking to like the ways that in my, in my own life kind of day to day, I try to set up because I, I mean, I would be used to going to school in a classroom or going to work at an office, but yeah. the ways that I've been shutting off, even, you know, at the end of the workday or on Shabbat or whatever it is, I think there's a lot to be said about that mental commute from from school to work and yeah. finding what works for you, what little um, traditions or what little like rituals. Yeah, is- I think it's I think there is something to be said about kind of what rituals can you create to fill your daily commute to and from from work or to and from school or to and from your celebrations. That's amazing. <laughs> that was like, come on. <laughs> that was amazing because I love I just love the idea of saying sacred space can also be a ritual so Mm -hmm. like for me the thing I keep thinking of is making tea which is hilarious because I sometimes I drink tea but I don't don't (laughs) have like some morning ritual involving tea but now I want to because I thought oh my gosh even if you just like made yourself a hot beverage in the morning on your way from your bedroom to like your kitchen or yeah I guess you need to get to the kitchen you know what I mean <laughs> well, I mean like work day. for example I think some a, a really simple one that I I realize now I, I always did this but I especially do it now I love the I think it's so important morning routine moving your body and that doesn't mean mm-hmm. you know, doing an intense spin class but I love getting my my endorphins going so I have like a playlist of songs and I realize I always play the same morning song pump up song that I dance to every single morning before work to get me hyped up for the day and so if you play even just a song kind of like a song in between the end of your the beginning of your work day and the end of your work day to symbolize the the start and the end or if you're going to play Jewish music kind of going into the high holidays like the as you're as you're preparing in your own apartment but as you're if you're playing the music as you're preparing maybe you'll mentally kind of emotionally set that apart as different. I, oh my gosh, well, first of all, I just love, there's nothing I love more than music in this world. (laughs) So I love, (laughs) I really love that. And I always say to myself, to friends, like it's so important to take your love of music or of art seriously. And to like, you seem to be using it or suggesting that we use it as a real tool. I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing I just thought of, another ritual, I guess, that can, operate as a sacred space is journaling, um, which, you know, right now we're in the month of Elul. Mm -hmm. I have on the blog this 29-day journaling challenge that corresponds with the days of this. This is the Jewish, it's the last month of the the Jewish calendar year for anyone out there who doesn't know what I'm talking about. And it, it like culminates in the high holidays, just like December culminates in 
January 1st and December 31st, the new year. Um, and so like I've really gotten back into journaling lately and that is such a great, truly sacred ritual, a way of getting to know yourself better, mm-hmm. a way of getting in touch with God, the map, like it's just, it's the best. It's great. Um, and I think that's another ritual that we can throw into that list. Absolutely. And your, your LOL journal prompts also are the most, I've been doing them the most beautiful, thoughtful. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. I love them. They're all on the website if people want to go find them, but thank you for saying that. That's so cool. Honestly, like if someone is listening and they're hearing this after LOL or they're hearing this in any time (laughs) of the year, those prompts are still thoughtful and reflective and beautiful. And I recommend anyone like who needs some assistance beginning to journal or is looking for prompts or help those are are great go-tos for for now and forever really you just you just gave me an amazing idea which is to somehow repurpose that into and and also thank you that is so kind of you to say but you gave me a great idea of just sort of repurposing them into um a more generalized journaling prompt page. I think that, I think that journaling is always sacred as we're saying, and it's always important. So it should absolutely extend beyond this month. I have one, one last question. What advice do you have for someone who may be hosting their own high holiday meals for the first time and is feeling the overwhelm? That's a really good question. Um, so once again, I'm going to, I'm going to give it my real answer, which is a little bit fluffier than the step-by-step sort of first make brisket and then, you know, make simis. And then it's really more about if, if you want to do something, you just have to do it. Um, there's this really beautiful book called, I think it's called living the Jewish life, maybe living, living a Jewish life by Anita Diamant. She's like really incredible, an incredible writer, thinker. She's, she's Jewish, of course. She wrote this book about Judaism. And in it, at the very beginning, I think, she says, the Jews are not just the chosen people, they are the choosing people. And I read this book last year because I've been reading a lot about Judaism because it is my big focus <laughs> in life. And even though it's like intended for a more, I guess, beginner person, uh, someone who's really starting out with their journey to Judaism, it really spoke to me. The whole book spoke to me, and especially that line, because it applies to someone who is about to host High Holidays for the first time, and it applies to someone who's about to host it for the 50th time, and it applies to me. I'm somewhere in between. And um, because what she's saying in that the Jews are the choosing people is that every day when you wake up, you have to make a choice about, am I going to be a Jew today? Um, because Judaism is active and it's like participatory. It's not just a set of ideas from this really old dusty book. And, um, and so I love that she says that. And so I have to give that sort of same advice to whoever is listening and is about to either host or maybe attend high holidays for the first time. Um, or the, or the 50th time again, which is, if you want to be Jewish, just go, just start, just do anything, make a challah, just host stuff. Don't worry so much. Just go, just do it and leave your insecurities behind you. And that is how, that's how I live life. And so nobody should feel intimidated by this whole high holiday process. I love that so much. And I think 
you know, if you're listening and you aren't going to be hosting your own high holidays or you're not Jewish or for whatever reason, this doesn't apply to you. I feel like it still does apply to you because what you said is so powerful about the fact that in, in general, in life, you, when you wake up every day, you are, you are choosing the way that you are going to live that life. And, you know, all context and privilege aside, you are the choosing person. You are the choosing people. And every day when you wake up, I, I hope for people listening that they, this is a reminder that you can, you can choose how you want your life to be and how you want your day to be. And, and you can set the tone. So I, what a, what a beautiful way to end off. Where, where can people find, where can listeners find you? Yes, because I didn't, um, you know, shamelessly promote this enough already. So my blog is, it's my name.com, which it's not literally my name.com. It is, wow, I have to get better at this. <laughs> Rebecca Lowen.com. And I'm sure like you can find that in the description of this video. My name Absolutely. is Jewish way. So you'll find it in the description. And then on Instagram, which is where I am you know, most active for better or worse. It's the same thing. It's just at Rebecca Lowen, R-E-B-E-K-A-H. Well, thank you so, so, so much, Rebecca. I loved recording this episode and I loved having you on. I'm, I'm so excited that we got to do this. And honestly, I feel so inspired and excited just thinking back on on all of those different reasons that I started the blog or that I love Judaism, it's been so fun. So thank you so, so much. What a cool experience. 